Thanks, Pastor Graham. <laughs> Might take me a little while to get used to, but we'll get there. Hallelujah, whatever we've been called to do in the Lord, we've all got a job to do, each and every one of us, haven't we? And all the people said, Amen. All right, I want to um, want to have a look at a topic to this evening, this afternoon. I actually want to talk about repentance, um, because uh, being sorry uh, is not something that all of us often find naturally that easily easy to do. How is it to be sorry? It's not in our human nature all of the time. We, uh, if we make a bit of a mistake, sometimes we want to defend our position, don't we? It just sort of is the natural way with us. And uh, just thinking about Huda's testimony there, and she talked quite a bit about her search and looking at various religions and so on. Everyone in life is looking for a bit of meaning, aren't they? Whether they realise it or not, people are looking for meaning and purpose. And if you think that people aren't, and some people confess that, they, that they're not, it's why uh, when people get put in something like solitary confinement, it's so unbearable because there is zero stimulation other than a few walls to look at and people, people just go crazy in that position. We, we need stimulation, we need purpose. And, uh, and God's placed that within us. And some people set the bar, I suppose, naturally, some people set the bar quite high to find purpose. Don't know, they, uh, they might go and circumnavigate the world or, you know, set up on, set off on some big voyage of discovery. And, uh, for other people, it might be something like sitting down in the local bar in their favourite seat every, uh, Friday night. And that's sort of as high as they want to set it. Everyone's different, but everyone wants something. And, then one day, praise the Lord, we hear the gospel. Someone comes to us with the truth. And um, I just want to start by turning to Psalms chapter 8. Spent a bit of time looking at some Psalms yesterday at, at prayer and fast. It was, it was very good. But in Psalm chapter 8... Uh, David records here just in verse 3, he says, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? It's a, an amazing realisation. Uh, when, And if you've ever spent some time looking at the stars, you know, laying down on your back on the grass somewhere or whatever, and just... You start to look at God's creation and his magnitude. There's this, I suppose there's this thought of, um, it is a, a, just a thought of well, who, who am I? How could, how could the creator of everything have an interest or an investment in, in me or us? This, uh, so small compared to everything else. And, and it, it's, it's a, I guess what David's recording here is, uh, it's, it's humility, but it's, it's, it's almost a, um, it's just seeing that, that compared to God, you know, we're just, uh, we're very important to God, but we're so small compared to his magnitude, yet so important at the same time. And God set the bar very, very high, didn't he, in that he wanted to have a relationship with each and every one of us, and he went to incredible lengths to do it. That, um, you know, we read in John 3.16 about how he sent his only begotten son into this world, that whoever would believe on him would... Uh, 
would have everlasting life and not have a separation from him forever. And there's just this incredible... There should be for us this incredible excitement that, um, that the Creator is aware of our life and he's put in preparation right back as far as time goes to redeem our soul so that we could be in a relationship with him. And that's something... Uh, it's to take us away from what we see as our own righteousness. A lot of people, we know, we come across it, maybe we were like it ourselves, where we want to justify our own position in life, our own thoughts, our own way, our own thinking. And God wants to replace that, our own righteousness, or unrighteousness is what it is, with his righteousness. And that's worth getting up in the morning for, isn't it? To be in a relationship with God like that. And the big difference between religion and a religious approach and God's approach to righteousness is, uh, is that, well, he's got a, a very, uh, he's got a pattern that can't be broken as, as a way that that comes about. It's not made of our own thoughts, our own ideas or our own opinions, but it came about through the laying down of his son's life. And in Romans chapter 10, if you just want to turn there with me quickly... We read in verse 1, it says, uh, as Paul's writing this letter here to, to the Romans, he said, My brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. We know that with Israel, when they were under the law and they were, they were happy with that, but when the Son of God came on the scene, they, they wanted to stick in their old ways. They didn't want to accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God and they wanted to continue trying to establish their own righteousness and it didn't work for them. And uh, we read, I think it already got mentioned today in, in John chapter 4 about the true worshipper needing to worship God in spirit and in truth. And... Uh, there's a lot of people that have the ability to worship God in the spirit that can speak in tongues. But, but worshiping God in truth, where we will stay, I suppose, in, a, in an ongoing, uh, ongoing relationship with God where we're repentant in our attitude that will continue to be instructed in truth is, uh, is not a common thing out there. And um, as we go on in the Lord... It's part of our walk with the Lord that we, that we remain, I suppose, in submission to God and that we remain a person that's able to be taught and a person that is, a, that is I guess we stay in a repentant type state. And we're not immune from mistakes, are we? None of us are immune from making mistakes. If, uh, if we were, then we wouldn't have needed the Holy Ghost you know, to cover our iniquity, to cleanse us from all iniquity. And... Natural thinking creeps in. All of us uh, can have that happen. The Bible tells us that our that our natural brain, our flesh, it wars against the spirit that God's put inside of us. Sometimes there's a bit of pride that rears up. It can happen to all of us. And like Jesus Christ said when he was in the garden with his disciples, he was asking them to pray with him. And they couldn't pray with him just for a small time. He said to him, indeed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. If... If anyone was qualified to say that, Jesus Christ was because he came down 
in the form of a man, in a, in, a, in a fleshly body as the Son of God. He knew the power of the Holy Ghost, but he knew the weakness of the flesh. And when he made that statement, he knew what he was talking about. Um, I want to just turn now to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. A story of, uh, of the prodigal son and I guess what repentance looks like. As an attitude. Um, In verse 11 of Luke 15, he says, And he said, this is Jesus Christ, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, There arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. For time, we won't go through the whole story there, but we know what happens is he ends up realising what the position he's got himself into, and he has the thought, well... My father's servants are looked after. If I go back to my father, he'll at least allow me to be at least one of his servants, even if he doesn't see me as a son anymore. And so we read that in verse 18. He says, I'll arise and I'll go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. And I believe this is a really important part that in this attitude of when he made this mistake, and it was a, it was a big mistake he made in his life, that he wasn't, um, he wasn't looking to say to his friends or the people he'd been with at that time how sorry he was. He realized he'd, he'd, he'd sinned against heaven, against the spiritual principles against against God's realm and what is right in his sight. And he also goes on to say, and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And I believe there's a real key there in that as we, um, as we go on in the Lord, there's going to be times when, uh, when, we, uh, when we make a mistake, when we, have to be, uh, when we have to be open to be taught by the Lord. And, but it's not about being necessarily uh i guess sorry to um it's it's always a state before the lord it's about being sorry before the lord and lord help me to do it better help me to do it your way keep teaching me and without that it's very very hard as we go on in things of the lord and as i said part of remaining in the lord is that's so key for all of us is that we remain teachable and in um in proverbs chapter one just to quote for time it says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction and uh, that doesn't always sit well with us naturally does it we can all find those things tough at times but uh god because he cares about us he wants to keep working with us he wants to keep molding us and shaping us and teaching us and showing us a better way his way um there's another little story there in uh, that deals again with repentance in um, luke chapter 18 just over a couple of pages the story of the, uh, the Pharisee 
and the, and the tax collector or the publican in verse 9. And he says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And it says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then he says, Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And it's a principle that doesn't change. No matter how long we walk, walk on with the Lord, it's, uh, it's, it's like David wrote in the start of the Psalms, that when we look at the perspective, the fact that, that God has seen fit to send his son to elevate us to the level of being equal or join heirs with the son of God, what could be what could be greater than that? We don't need to go around and uh, and ever look like we need to uh, um, exalt ourselves. God's already exalted us by making us His sons and daughters. And um, there's just a little saying that says, um, "When you've done something wrong, admit it and be sorry." No one in history has ever choked to death from swallowing their pride. <laughs> and. Um, and it's just a natural reaction, isn't it, in us? Because we all have made mistakes and we are all going to make mistakes, but it's our attitude towards it. It's how we submit ourselves to the Lord and go, Lord, I know you can show me a better way. And as we, as we have that attitude, he will. He'll teach us. Because our world, it has such an attitude problem. It really does. And um, there's sort of this thinking, uh, you know, if people don't like who I am, that's their problem. They've got to accept me for who I am. And that's something that's promoted so much. And, and we come under pressure with those things too. It's a, it's a you got to deal with it attitude. And maturity in people's lives is now often gauged not, not so much by whether people take on admirable qualities in their life, like having you know, integrity or good moral co- conduct and all those sort of things. Maturity now is often seen if you can go and do whatever you feel like and not worry about what other people think about it. That makes you mature because you're not worried what other people think. And uh, it's totally uh, the reverse to how God sees it. And as we go on in the Lord, maybe sometimes we can find ourselves getting a bit wonky. Things come up and we can get a bit unstable at times if we're not careful. And um, we can become a bit double-minded. The Bible talks about it. And instead of making clear stands on, uh, on things that God has uh, instructed us in the word, we, uh, we, uh, I guess we start to blur, we can blur the lines if we're not careful when it affects our thinking. And the instruction that God's given us, well, that's always the benchmark. And, um, and it's, not the social, it's not the social norm that's the benchmark. And we're all influenced by, by that, aren't we? When we look around at what others are doing, and we can make that the benchmark in our life, even in, even in the assembly. We can look at what others are doing. And of course, the Bible tells us that if we see people who are doing things well, well, we mark them as an example and we learn from it. But, but this is always the example. This is where we make the benchmark. And 
Um, in, in James, if you want to turn with me over to the book of James, it talks about a little bit about double-mindedness. In, uh, in verse 8, James chapter 1, verse 8, it says, A double-minded man or person is unstable in all his ways. But then it goes on to say in verse 9, But let the brother or sister of low degree rejoice and that he is exalted. This is the key as we go on, to remain of a low degree, to remain in a repentant type state with the Lord, in attitude. Always be ready that the Lord might have a better way to teach each and every one of us. But it tells us what the cure is for that if we find ourselves becoming that way. Just over in James chapter 4. And it says in verse 8 of James 4, it says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. We've got to get close to the Lord. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. When we, when we get things back in perspective and we realise... Again, as David wrote, well, what is, what is man? What am I, Lord, that uh, you'd be mindful of me when you've made all of this? And we're just in a submissive state to the Lord, to his, to his word. We're just there to, to do whatever he wants us to do. Well, then he's able to restore us and he's able to give us the clarity of vision back in our life about where we're headed and our relationship with him. And we think, well, if it was good enough for the son of God to be of low degree, it's good enough for us. In Philippians chapter 2, I'll quote this in verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Or another translation puts that, For our sakes he did not consider equality with God something to cling to, but he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made into the likeness of men. And being found in the as fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That's our example. And just want to turn back with me, uh, just one passage or so that I just want to have a look at to, to start to finish up with. In Proverbs chapter 6, it's sort of, uh, well, it's a list of things that, uh, that the part we're going to have a look at that really doesn't please God. And he's very... Um, He's very vocal about it. God says these are things that he that he uses the word hate. It's a very very strong terminology, and it's probably what is is displayed in our world around us more than more than almost anything. This is almost their top their top seven list instead of being the things they would steer away from. But in Proverbs chapter six, in verse twelve, it says, "A naughty person and a wicked man walketh with a froward mouth." And there's a lot of froward mouths in our world, isn't there? A lot of people uh, don't have a... Well, the Bible tells us in James that we uh, no man can control his tongue and uh, that we say things to people that we shouldn't. And then on one hand, we say nice things to people. And if we were able to control our tongue, we would be perfect. And yet, none of us are. That's why we needed God to come and take control of our tongue. And it goes on and says in verse 13, it says, He winketh with his eyes and he speaketh with his feet. 
he teaches with his fingers. And then it says, frowardness is in his heart and he devises mischief continually. He soweth discord. It says, therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. And it talks about these six things doth the Lord hate. And it's very strong, strong wording. He says, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And the first one he mentions is a proud look. And in a time of social media, particularly, it's a time of a proud look. You know, there's people with all kinds of photos and that that just want to make themselves look, look at me. And I guess we can get caught up in that if we're not careful. You know, that uh, it becomes so much about the outward appearance, about the concern about how people will view me outwardly. And God says, I don't, he says it's, a, it's something that he, he hates to see a proud look where people are trying to draw so much attention to their outward appearance. And um, it's something that we all get influenced by, don't we? Again, as we, it depends where our benchmark is. If our benchmark is a lot of the things that happen on Facebook or what we see on, on television or as we go on the net, then we start feeling pressured to do the same thing. But God says, hey, there's a better way than that. He goes on to say a lying tongue. He hates a lying tongue. And, you know, sometimes there's a, oh, well, it's, just a, it's just a little white lie or it's just a, uh, it's just a bit of a change of, uh, of the truth so that, uh, you know, so it just helps my situation that little bit more. There is no little white lie. God says he's for the truth. We should be for the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He lives within us. And, um, you know, again, it's just something that, uh, that, that's a part of this world, but something that we always, all of us, we, we need to keep seeking the Lord about, that we, that he's lifted us above these things. And then he says, and hands that shed innocent blood, well, hopefully none of us have ever been involved in that. If we have, it was a past life, and uh, we're born again now. It says, and a heart that devises wicked imaginations. Boy, do we live in a world where there's hearts that devise wicked imaginations and God's given us a new heart, but it depends again what we expose ourselves to. The things that we view, that we watch, that we listen to, it comes into our mind and ends up in our heart. And if we're not careful, it helps us devise wicked imaginations. And God says, I've given you something different than this. And um, we've got to be careful that we're just not motivated by the things that motivate this world. And then it says, feet that be swift in running to mischief. Well, that's a, that's one, isn't it? That, uh, you know, maybe we're the person that um, we hear something and we're the one that's quick to go, hopefully not, but quick to go and spread the goss, you know? And oh, I've got to let someone know this or that. And, and it's something that God says, don't... I've lifted you above that. You're filled with my spirit. That's not, that's not part of my people's life. And yet we're all in this natural body. We all have a natural mind. And these things, if we don't watch for it, it can, it can, it can catch us out. And again, he talks about a false witness that speaketh lies. And the last one, he says, and he that soweth discord among brethren. You know, that's... Um, that's the one the Lord hates, he says. It's an abomination, you know, because he's gone to such great lengths to redeem us back to him, to send his son, that he wants us to encourage one another. He wants us 
to build one another up and to speak things that are going to make us want to seek the Lord and not things that are going to set us against each other. And that's why he says, uh, you know, again, he's, he's given us the spirit of, of peace and the spirit of unity. And as, as our goal and our focus is, as we're all just, wow, Lord, you've called me out of this life and you've seen my soul and we've seen your soul as, as valuable, as that's our focus, then we're brought together, we're united. But when, but I guess when we let the natural creep in and, uh, you know, we hear this or we hear that and we think, I'll add my little bit in here, I'll add my little bit in there, it's discord and the Lord wants to keep us together. He wants to keep us unified. We come together because, well, the Bible says, as we see the day approaching, well, we shouldn't forsake that because as we see it's ready for Jesus to come back that the stage is set, we come here because we hear wonderful testimonies. We get encouraged from people, from hearing the testimony of people being healed from the word of God, from seeing people overcome things in their lives. We all get encouraged. We all get motivated by those things. And that's why God brings us together. And just to, um, to finish off, off on, we're going to turn back to, or turn over to First Timothy, or Second Timothy, rather, chapter 3. And it's the, that's the wonderful thing, that God is, God is pretty patient with us, isn't he? You know, he keeps working with us. And as long as we, um, as we keep looking to his scriptures, that we keep, you know, we, we, we come together with one another, we get to the meetings where we can, and we just we devote our life to the Lord. He works with us, and he teaches us, and he shows us. And in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 14, it just says, I'm in First Timothy. Go over to the next book. It says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And you know that's a really big part of it, is knowing the things that we have learned, the things that we do know to be right, it's knowing who we've learned them of. We've learned them of God. These aren't things that we've just learned off of uh, any old person. These are things we've learned of God and and faithful brothers and sisters that have gone before for us, that have laboured in the work. We've learnt from them too. And it goes on and says, and he's talking here that in Timothy's case, from a child, he says, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. He'd been brought up knowing these things, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And it goes on and it says, and all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for a proof, for correction and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, freely furnished unto all good works. What is God freely or thoroughly furnishing us for? What's he preparing us for? To meet his son. And that's, uh, that's, that's why we're here, isn't it? Because we are, because as we, as we just remain humble and thankful about what God has given us, he's preparing us for when he comes back and, uh, There's not going to be a greater day than all the people said. Amen.